We're so grateful for the presence of Jehovah. In the presence of Jehovah, there is peace. And as we come to the Lord in prayer for praying for our needs and the needs of our loved ones, um, we pray that God's presence will be with you and for the people that we pray for, that God's presence would be with them. So as I pray and uh, you pray, mention the needs that are on your, in your life and needs of our nation, the needs of our communities, needs of our families. And uh, as we pray together, believing that God will hear our prayers and God will answer our needs. Heavenly Father, there are so many things that we think of that, God, that need to be corrected, <laughs> need to be undone, that there are illnesses and sickness that are taking the lives of individuals, and that there are problems and situations that we face that seemingly are insurmountable or, God, are blocking the way for our, our future. So, God, we ask that by the wisdom of your word and by your Holy Spirit, that here in your presence, wherever we are at, Lord, we are in your presence. And it is here, Lord, that we bring our needs to you, knowing that you hear us. And, Lord, inside of our hearts and minds, inside of our spirit, we feel that connection with you. That, Lord, you forgive us of our sin that, God, you give us direction for our life. God, we pray for your love to hold our hearts and help us in relationships with others. But most of all, we thank you for that we have this relationship with you because you love us. So bless these for whom we pray. Bless those who are listening and watching. God, bless us in a way that we know that it's you touching us in a very special way. Bless now, we pray, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. If you have an offering, um, you'd like to send it to the church, um, make out your check to Wimber Assembly, Box 361, Wimber, PA, 15963. That's uh, Wimber Assembly, Box 361, and Wimber, 15963. We thank you for your contributions. This morning, um, looking at defining success. Now, um, we have lots of images of what success is, and often it is uh, some image that is superimposed over a corporation or over a person, and we would say that, well, maybe this uh, singer or this actor or this individual that they, you know, is successful because their songs have risen on the charts and everybody listens to them or people have made lots of money or they've been successful and people know their name and they see their image on a newspaper or in a book or a catalog or something and we, we automatically, oh, we know them, you know, know of them. And so we would have this image of what success is. But there is a success that God speaks of that is greater than the success and is different than the success that we would look at in our natural capacity of things. Success, according to a worldly standard, paints a picture of wealth, notoriety, and self-exaltation. And, you know, I, I, I think of that latter one, self-exaltation. You know, it's uh, people bragging about who they are, what they can do, whether they can or cannot do. And it's almost, you know, whatever the grandiose scheme of things, if we can 
bellow it out and proclaim it, some, maybe somebody will believe that. And often I think of it as just a way to cover up our insecurities and our inabilities and in trying to falsify who we are and falsify an image that we want to project. But people do this success without the consideration of God's will. You know, the ultimate success is when we stand in heaven with God. And if we're not going to stand in heaven with God, then nothing in this world is going to be of any importance. You know, if we gain the whole world and lose our own soul, what does it profit us? So the challenge is for us that we would consider that we would look to God and look to his word <clears throat> that would help us, that we would find a divine pattern or a divine purpose. So rather than be self-focused, we are God-focused. And God focuses on letting us know that there's something greater about our life than us. And that the outcome that God has for us is greater than just us in this moment of time being successful. <clears throat> and finding that success that is self-exalting and self-focused. So this is, a, this is all contrary to the biblical view that in Christ we live and move and have our being. So God has made us eternal beings, and God has created us for a purpose, and God has an eternal purpose for the life that we live. And so the, the focus of evil, of sin, is for us to look away from a divine purpose and look to a self-serving purpose. Rather than other-focused, we are self-focused. And so the, the, it's, a, it's an exchanging an I for thy. <laughs> I let my, you know, uh, I think of, uh, I did it my way, you know, who is that? Um, Frank Sinatra, is it Frank's? I did it my way, <laughs> you know. I faced it all, you know. I won't sing. But anyhow, <laughs> you know, it ends up, I did it my way. And so it's like we succeeded in life that I've lived my life the way that I wanted to. And in reality, if I live my life the way God wants me to, then I've found success. So as we live and grow, it is for God's glory and for the good of mankind, for the good of those around us. For the purpose of our life is serving God, and serving God is serving others. And serving others brings about the fulfillment of who we are. He that is greatest among you, Jesus said, let him become the servant of all. And when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter said, no, don't you touch mine. I'm not going to let you serve me. And Jesus said to Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of my kingdom. So you see, the idea of learning how to serve is the idea of learning how to be successful. One, I think it was um, John Maxwell said, if we can learn how to serve and meet other people's needs and help other people arrive at their place of success, we will find our success. So we're helping others become who God has called them to be. We are fulfilling who we were called to be. So Proverbs tells us what success is not. So we'll, we'll start off with the not. You know, I mentioned in Sunday school lesson, the, uh, 
Some have written that uh, the Ten Commandments are negative. God should have written, you know, the Ten Positive Commands. <laughs> well, basically, the ten things that we're not supposed to do, uh, three of them deal with our relationship with God, and six of them, no, four deal with our relationship with God, and six deal with our relationship with people. So it's easier to say, don't do these ten things, rather than saying, here are the hundred things that you should be doing. <laughs> so it was easier to say, don't do these things. So Proverbs 6, 16 says, what the Lord hates. The Lord hates eyes that are prideful. The Lord hates a tongue that tells lies. The Lord hates hands that kill innocent people. And that's not just using the idea of murder, but the idea of character assassination, telling lies about other people to destroy them. The Lord hates the hearts that plan evil things to do. The Lord hates feet that run to do evil. The Lord hates the witness in court who tells lies. There's a lot of lies going on here. <laughs> People who do not know how to tell the truth are finding themselves caught in their lies. And the last one is... And the Lord hates anyone who causes family members to fight. Hmm. So we understand then, if we're going to be successful, there are certain things we have to stay away from. There are certain things that we just cannot do. And, and, and a lot of it deals with pride and lies. How the people will lie about themselves and lie about others, and anyhow, it's character assassination. So be, to be successful then, you must have a, I think I used this title one other time, uh, I don't understand it file. If we're going to get beyond our problems, we have to put a, we have to create a file that says, you know what, I don't really understand this. You see, trust God, Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust God from the bottom of your heart and don't try to figure out everything on your own. Trust God and don't try to figure everything out. Now there's a little phrase on there, on your own. Because what we do is, whenever we're trying to figure it out, we use our lens, okay, our life experiences, our uh, age, you know, too soon old, too late smart. <laughs> we use our experiences, our understanding, and we look through the lens of what we perceive as truth and life and understanding, you know, I've got it all together because here I got it right in front of me. Let me put on everything that I know and understand and I'll be able to figure this out. <laughs> well, you're not God and you don't have his eyes. So do not try to get even. Do not listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Don't try to get even. Don't try to pay back evil for evil. You know, the, the, one of the lessons that I've tried to learn and sometimes had to learn it over and over again is um, turn it over to God. <laughs> turn those individuals over to God. Because in my estimation, um, I will fall into this, these things that God hate, hates, pride, lies, 
character assassination, planning evil things, running to do evil, causing problems within families. You see, we're, how are we going to get even without doing one of those things that God hates? So don't do them. <laughs> we turn them over to God. God, you know what? I don't understand. I never figure it out, so it's yours. You take care of them. I'll, you help me take care of me in dealing with this thing and go forward. Because the success in my life is not based on making them wrong and me right. The success in my life is allowing God to direct me by his word and his spirit. You know, sometimes things are best left alone. <laughs> you see that commercial where the little boy is wanting to do things? He says, it's a car commercial. And anyhow, he's, he's playing with the beehive. <laughs> Dad, Dad, look what I got. <laughs> don't, don't mess with the beehive. Why? Because when you mess with the beehive, you're going to be messing with the bees. <laughs> and it's not a good thing. So sometimes it's just better to leave things alone. You know, I found out if you get stung by a bee, you don't attack the hive. How many know that? The rest of you need to learn it. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, if you get stung by a bee, don't go and attack the hive. We know that. Why? Because there's more of them than of you, and they're going to hurt you more than you're going to hurt them. So you see, it's almost like that with people. There's only one of them and one of me, and I can, I can really do them in, and it's like, don't do it. Because you can never fight with people and win. Because you can't change their mind. So how can you win? You can't make people think like you think, because they look through their own lens of understanding. And in their lens of understanding, they didn't do anything wrong. So how are you going to convince them that they're wrong? Except trying to make them wear your glasses and your perspective and hurt you, and it's not going to work. So just leave them alone. God, they're yours. Take care of them. As long as you're probing around your hurts and disappointments, as long as you're probing, I, I like that word, <laughs> probing, you know, digging things up and trying to uncover everything, trying to figure out why something happened and reopening the wound over and over again and this isn't going to work and that isn't going to work and you know how I was hurt whenever I was... You keep reopening that wound, it'll never heal. And guess what? Most why questions don't have answers. They just don't have answers. You know? Why would you do that to me? Well, you deserve it. I wouldn't have done it in the first place. So what does that do? Makes you a little more angry. But we don't have an answer to the why questions. You have to let it go and say, God, I don't understand their thinking. I don't understand what happened. But if I've done something to create that misconception, help me do the right thing. Help me make it right with you so I don't make that mistake in the future. And if make it right with them. You know, last week we had uh, cupcakes in a little container. And... Uh, you know, came out and checked out, and 
there was only one price tag on all the boxes, just one. So we paid that. But when we got to church, we're looking at that, and Rhonda's going over the price tag and says, this isn't what they told me it was going to cost. <laughs> so I better call them and straighten them out. <laughs> says, no, I think you need to go talk to the person <laughs> who got the bill and may make sure that everything is okay with them and the bill. You're not going to create havoc in the whole department, in the whole store, because you think you were undercharged. Not overcharged, undercharged. So, what did we do? What did Rhonda do? She went to the store, knew the person who put the order in, took the order and everything, and said, this is all you charged me. And they said, that's correct, that's all the cost is. Well, so-and-so told me they made a mistake. (laughs) So, in that case, you, you have a problem, and you're going to the source of the problem, the source of the situation, and resolving it with that person. Now, the, the, what happens many times is, I was overcharged, and those people down there, they don't pay attention. They don't know what's going on. They can't tell their right hand from their left. And that person, they must be... Anybody ever done that? <laughs> character assassination. Don't do it. One of the things is, God, I know that you would not allow this to happen in my life if you couldn't bring good out of it. So help me to see the good that I need to arrive at. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. That's Proverbs, what we read. Trust God from the bottom of your heart and don't try to figure it out Don't try to figure out everything on your own. So we're allowing God to help us. We should have this file, and what does the file say? Ta-da! I don't understand. (laughs) And God, you figure it out. And God, I place them and this situation in your hands. If you make the mistake of going through life trying to figure out why something bad happened, why something didn't work out, why our prayers weren't answered, all that's going to do is poison our position and our way of thinking. You know, it's almost like putting out rat poison and trying to taste a little bit of it every day to make sure it's still working. The only rat you're going to catch is... (coughs) (laughs) So, we'll let that one go. So whenever we're looking at finding our will and finding, excuse me, finding our way, we are, and finding success, I I was thinking of Abraham and the life of Abraham, and it's in Genesis chapter 12. We find that we have to begin somewhere. If we're going to find success, we have to begin somewhere. And Abraham, in Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your people, leave your father's family, and go to the country that I will show you. So God tells Abram, I want you to leave where you're at and go, where, go to a place I'm going to show you when you get there. Whenever we give our life to Jesus Christ, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, leave, what, leave where we are at, emotionally, spiritually, and turn away from that and go in the direction God wants us to. You see, we have to leave We have to leave where we're at to get where we're going. If you can't leave where you're at, you're never going to get anywhere. 
if you want to go to Boston, you got to leave Winber. Then you got to leave, you got to keep on going. If you want to go to Richland, you got to leave Winber. You got to go up the road, you know, up the hill. See, if you want to get somewhere, you have to leave someplace. You can't stay where you're at and be somewhere else. We just can't do that. So Abram left the land, and then we go to Genesis 4. He began the journey. So Abram left Haran, just like the Lord said, and Lot with him. So there were, he took his nephew with him. Sometimes there are people who accompany us on our journey. And Abram was 75 years old when he left home, when he left Haran. I'm not 75 yet. I don't know, at 75, I'd start off for a place, you know, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I guess they call that Alzheimer's. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at, and I don't know where I'm going, but I sure enjoy the view. <laughs> Meet new friends every day. <laughs> well, that's not the journey. So, anyhow... So Abraham, you've got to begin the journey in a new way, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. And you know what? You need, maybe you, need to, you have to take on new friends. <laughs> because your old friends are just going to trip you up because your old friends don't want you to change from who you are. You're, they're going to make fun of your new religious experience. They're going to make fun of, oh, you got your belief now. You know, they got all that goofy stuff that they say about faith in God. In reality, they're the ones that's going to spend an eternity in hell, and you're the one that's going to be in heaven. And, you know, one, I remember this one story, this one girl, she kept trying to get her boyfriend to come to church. And he wouldn't go to church, he wouldn't go to church, wouldn't go to church. And finally, she said, I have to break up with you. And he says, why? He says, you won't, she said to him, you won't go to heaven with me, and I won't go to hell with you. <laughs> wow. She had insight. And in our relationships, we have to know that there are people who do not want a relationship with God. We, ha we know that there are people who do not want to go to heaven they do not, because they don't believe in such a place. But we have to leave where we're at, leave behind the things that were connected with our old way of life. We need to honor God. Verse 7 of chapter 12. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your descendants. So Abraham, I'm not going through every little sequence of events with Abraham, but Abraham left, he got to the place where it was needed to be. Abraham built the altar to honor God who appeared to him there. So when he got to this place, he built an altar. An altar is a place where we lay our life, our perspective of life, our future. We, we often would, you know, come to the altar and pray. And the altar was a place where we would pour out our heart to God. And our altar can be anywhere, whether it's in our home or sitting on a chair and meditating and looking at the trees or whether it's alone you know, whatever it is, we are pouring our heart out to God and asking God to walk with us, and that becomes our special place where God speaks to us and where we feel his presence. So, we are there to honor God and give thanks. 
to him. That's where he built his altar. And 12.8 says, Then he left that place and traveled to the mountains east of Bethel. He set up his tent there. Bethel was to the west and Ai was to the east. And Abram built another altar at that place to honor the Lord and worship the Lord there. You see, he's building altars along the way. And the altar is a place where we are honoring God and kind of like putting down our stake and saying, God met me here. And we'll find out that after Abraham goes through trouble and everything, he comes back to Bethel. He comes back to that place where he knew God was there with him. And that he could find this place of security and peace, and it kind of is his his anchor for his soul. Well, we know problems will come. Verse 10. During this time, there was not enough food in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to live. One of the challenges is we are where we're supposed to be, but things aren't working out the way that they should. We don't have anything to eat. They have food down in Egypt, so let's go down to Egypt. Well, okay, is that the right thing or wrong thing? Well, we don't know. Well, just before they arrived in Egypt, verse 11, Abraham told Sarah, look, I know that you are a very beautiful woman. You know, he says, Abraham says to Sarah, you know, Sarah, you are one good-looking woman. (laughs) And you know what? People will kill for you, and I don't want them killing me for you, so let's say you're my sister, so they won't kill me. (laughs) So Abraham, great man of faith, let's figure this out on our own. You see, Abraham, call him the great man of faith, but he still had to grow and learn in his own relationship with God. And you know what? Sometimes we try to figure things out on our own, and we create a worse setting. For uh, when Abraham went to Egypt, the Egyptian men saw that Sarah was very beautiful. Hmm, see? I knew she was a beautiful, good-looking woman. That's why I married her, but don't tell anybody she's my wife. The Pharaoh was kind to Abraham because I like your wife. I like your sister. And so what did Pharaoh do? He took Abraham's sister into his harem. Well, that didn't set right. And what does Abraham do? Nothing. He just kind of sits around and, wow, what's going to happen now? I've left the place that God wanted me to be. I've come here to get food, and I've messed things up. I've told everybody that my wife is my sister, and... She's now, my wife is now in Pharaoh's harem. What's going to happen to the promise God gave to me? I've I've been trying to figure this out, and I made a mess of it. Well, God intervened, and Pharaoh had a dream, and he he took Sarah back to Abraham and says, she's not your sister, she's your wife. Oh, well, yeah, get out of here. He took and he says, get out, and he told, Pharaoh told, told Abraham to go back to his country. Well, So what happened is, in verse 3 and 4, Abraham continued traveling around. He left the Negev down there, and he went back to Bethel. (laughs) This is where was his anchor point. When he started off thinking he had to do this on his own, he ended up messing things up pretty good. And so he comes back to the place where God had spoken to him before. And in our life, we need those anchor places because life is not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. God doesn't kick us out of the kingdom for making mistakes. He brings us closer to him. 
But we have to go to those places where God is. Verse 5 of chapter 13. During this time of Abraham building this altar again, getting, his, getting himself grounded again, what happens? Lot. <laughs> Lot comes along, who's been here, his nephew. Lot has, you know, people who are around you, like Abraham, they prosper. Things go well for them. Thing, you know, p- things go well for them, and they, can, they, count it off as, they count it all up as being lucky. You know, when you're around, they used to tell me, they would want me sometimes to be with them on their projects because I was their lucky one. I say, no, I wasn't lucky. God was there. Right, Ruth? Yeah, that's right. I knew she'd agree with me. <laughs> What's that? Always. But if we're not lucky. We have the presence of God. Presence of God, the function of the, the function, the, the, the word of God and the Holy Spirit come together to help us. What happens with Lot is... Abraham prospers, Lot prospers, his, their flocks prosper, they have more than they can handle, more than the land can hold, and so Lot and uh, the, the herdsmen of Lot are fighting with the herdsmen of Abraham, and there can't be this conflict between the two. Family conflict, the things that God hates, people who create conflict within the family. So Lot, <laughs> they, gotta, they, gotta, they have to divide. And Abraham says to Lot, see, Abraham is secure in who he is because he knows God is with him. So he tells Lot, you choose. You choose where you want to go, and I'll take the other. Lot says, you know what? I'm going down into that fertile valley near Sodom. Abraham says, okay, that's yours. And he, Abraham went the other direction. Well, <clears throat> We also know that um, Lot, while he's near Sodom, these kings come in and, take, and, and conquer Sodom, and while they're there, they take Lot also. And they run off with all the, all the land and everything of his servants and all that. And so what does Abraham do? He goes and rescues his nephew. <laughs> Why? Because Abraham takes the high road. He feels a responsibility for his nephew even though his nephew is the one who said, I'm out of here. I'm going to the best place. You take the worst place. Well, the future holds questions. The future is always in flux. We don't know what the future holds. We didn't know there was a pandemic coming. We didn't know that these people would be in place, shelter in place for months, and that our economy and everything else would kind of hit the tank. We didn't know that and kind of shook up our view of the future. Well, the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, you should know this. Your descendants will live in a country that is not their own. Abraham, I want you to know that your descendants are going to go to Egypt And they're going to spend 400 years there in captivity. God, I don't think that's a good plan for my people. I think we're better than that. 
Well, fast forward. Abraham tries to have fulfill God's presence, fulfill God's plan. He has a son to his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, Hagar, and that's Ishmael. But God's promise wasn't through Ishmael. God's promise was through Sarah, his wife. And so he has Abraham, Isaac, so he has Isaac. And when Isaac is about 14, 15 years old, somewhere in there, maybe 18 years old, he's not a little kid. He's a, a kind of an adult, and Abraham is 115, 118. And so he takes him to this place, an altar, where he's going to sacrifice his son. You see, when we want to be successful in life, we have to recognize everything belongs to God. Everything. We're just caretakers of it. All of our possessions, all of our talents, everything that we do, they're given to us by God. And so we are just giving back to God. Whenever we give thanks to God for where we're at and what's going on in our life, what we're doing is giving God thanks for what he has given us the ability to handle for a period of time. God gave to Abraham a promise that he would dis his descendants would be blessed. They would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but he only had one son. And that son was Isaac. And what happens is Abraham has to give back to God not physically, emotionally, spiritually, he's laid his son on the altar and he's going to take his life and God says, wait a minute. You had to know how much you trusted me. You know, we often think God had to know how much Abraham trusted him. No, God already knew how much Abraham trusted. It was Abraham's necessity to know how much he was willing to trust God, not only with his son, but with the promise that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. We have to be able to lay on the altar everything that we have to recognize that the promises of God are greater, greater than the problems that we face, and that God is capable of taking us from where we are to where he wants us to be. And whenever we put it all on the altar, whenever we're willing to share, tithe, give offerings, don't, God doesn't say give everything. He says give of a tithe of an offering. God says let your praise and let your thanksgiving be unto God. What we're doing is sharing with God the glory for what we have and what we are expecting to have. And so he offers Isaac, but he doesn't kill him. He recognizes that God is the giver of life. And Abraham, the whole story there, is that Abraham believed in the God of the resurrection. Because he was going, he told his servants, I and the boy are going up to offer a sacrifice, but we will return. Abraham knew he was going to take the life of his son but he also believed that God was capable of raising his son back to life because it was through Isaac that all the world would be blessed. Sometimes in our life we have to recognize God is the one who's going to take care of us. And all those promises that God has given to us, 
they are bigger than us. They are bigger than our own life, bigger than our own time frame, bigger than anything, greater than anything that we think that we can possess. Because when we look at life, we look at it through a lens that just is kind of like, this is about me. And God is saying, no, it's not, not only about you. It's about your children and your grandchildren. It's about all the people you serve. It's about all the people around you. It's about everything and everyone you touch because your life is greater than who you are. That's why God gives us promises that are greater than just our life. And I want to read, close with what David in 1 Chronicles 29 wrote, verse 10. Just part of the psalm, or part of the... The Lord God of Israel, our Father... May you be praised forever and ever. Greatness, power, glory, victory, and honor belong to you. Because everything in heaven and on earth belong to you. The kingdom belongs to you, Lord. You are the head, the ruler over everything. Riches and honor come from you. You rule everything. You have the power and strength in your hand. And in your hand is the power to make anyone great and powerful. Now, our God, we thank you, and we praise your glorious name. All these things done come from me and my people. All these things come from you. We are only giving back to you the things that come from you. We are only strangers traveling through the world like our ancestors. Our time on earth is like a passing shadow, and we cannot stop it. Lord our God, we gather all these things to build your temple. We build it to honor your name. But all these things have come from you. Everything belongs to you. Talk about his greatness. And it goes on in, in First Chronicles. You see, what Abraham represented, David still sees here. You see, what our faith is built on is 2,000 years B.C. with Abraham. And it continues through time to Christ to us today. So all these things have come to you to let us know that we belong to him. He created us and he's made us caretakers of everything that we possess. The plan for success begins and ends with God himself. Loving you, forgiving you, and giving you a chance to walk with him for eternity. Amen. Father, we thank you for this special day, this Father's Day. We thank you for the blessings that we have received. We thank you that you are our Father. You are our God who watches over us. You have only good things planned for our lives, but Lord, sometimes we fail to see the good and try to make our own decisions as to where we should go. And like Abraham, we find ourselves in a place we shouldn't be. So we ask you, Lord, to guide us. Bring us back to our Bethel, back to that place where we can anchor our soul and anchor our relationship with you, knowing that your promises are greater than us. They're greater than our todays. They're greater than our tomorrows. They are for an entire lifetime and for our children and our children's children, for our friends and family, we thank you. Bless and honor your word to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.
Amen. God bless you.